every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, I give a rat's ass about Twitter. <laughs> What's better than this? Guys being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Thursday edition of the show. Kyle, the last day of January. I don't know if you know this, but there is a knuckle technique that exists if you're curious how many days are in each month, but only for the first six months of the year. Did that blow your mind? No, I've heard that. To figure that out? No, you know what? I've I've been aware of this tactic because, you know, we had a conversation in the pre-show about how many days there were in January. And, you know, you you just knew, right? You're like, oh, man, you know, 31 days in January. Yeah, like, just the knuckles. I make gra- the knuckles. Grass is green. There's 31 days in January. Like, I don't know that. And so you told me the knuckle thing. And I'm like, all right, I can get on board with the knuckle thing. And then you're like, oh, yeah, but after the seventh month, it doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it kind of goes away. Come on now. This is the most overrated tactic that exists to all of mankind, and I am very happy that I never committed to learning it because it's fraudulent. It's not. It gets you through the first half of the year. And then I'm just supposed to know, oh, if I start on my index finger for the first seven months, I'm good. Uh, But then I have to come up with something else because I was like, oh, well, why isn't it just the odd months? The odd months are the odd months. Are the other ones with can, 31 days? You can blame August because it's August's fault. Well, August is if, a good if, month. If, if August had 30 days, then it would extend the rest of the way for the entire year. It's just August's fault. Calendar makes no sense, Cal. That's, that's, no, it doesn't. Because even if you think about it from like all aspects of life, like just in terms of in business or anything, how there are – certain periods of time that will have different days of the week that really impact what that sample size looks like. You know, if you're looking at empirical data, why, why are we not, why is this not the same stuff, the same amount of days, perfectly divisible and by quarters, like whoever made the calendar, I don't know who this is really, really goofed up, man. Really goofed. Guilt tripping, man. Preaching the choir, man. I I think it's an underrated gripe that we need to have as, as people because it's bad calendar. Well, hey, listen, I'm going to drop a bombshell on the listeners right now. Okay. Okay? <laughs> yeah. Should we ask Brian Burns about this for tomorrow's show? Oh. Oh. That's right. We have Brian Burns coming on the Draft Dudes podcast tomorrow. And we're going to talk to him about the art of the pass rush. We're very excited. And, uh, Joe, you and I have had some success with player interviews in years past. There's a long, illustrious list of draft dudes alumni that includes first round pick Jared Davis, 2017 offensive rookie of the year, Alvin Kamara. I'm hoping for the sake of the brand and for the sake of Brian, Brian gets added onto this illustrious list. Yeah. Yeah. It's our first, but uh, we, but, first one but of the we year. Ha- we have set the schedule. I'm going to be interviewing him uh, tonight for tomorrow's show. So everybody can get excited for our first player interview of the year being with, one of my favorite prospects in the entire draft, Brian Burns. Can't wait. To quote the great Bart Scott. Well, maybe not great, but to <laughs> quote that guy, Bart Scott. Can't wait. 
Shall we? We got a couple of prospects to get into today. Yeah, you're gonna tell everybody who it is. Or you're just gonna dive nah, in. You know what? I, I like, did. Shall we? we that calendar thing. That calendar thing, man. I didn't expect it to go like that. I, we got off the rails there. But uh, I didn't know you were so. I mean, you're you're really shook up about this. Well, you know, I, I have get, no idea. I have my things, right? I have my things that I get pretty fired up about. And uh, this calendar thing really got me. All right, let's let's really move on. Ole Miss wide receiver AJ Brown and Kentucky edge rusher Josh Allen are on the yes. plate for today. And I'll set the tone here for A.J. Brown, who we want to get into first. Uh, you guys were told all summer long that this was wide receiver one. and They uh, lied. You've been lied to. You've been lied they to. Lied. And I, we don't not – well, I, we'll speak for ourselves. Not that I don't like A.J. Brown. I just – he's not wide receiver one, especially in this class. And he's, he's a unique player. A lot of production. I think that's well, where people really kind of gravitate towards him with his size – with his production in the SEC, I mean, just really impressive stuff. Um, for me, though, with AJ, he's 6'1", 225. Uh, to me, he's a big slot, and that's really where he won in college. The, a lot of volume to his targets, uh, and I like his ability to work the middle of the field. I like his ability to extend his arms and pluck the football. He's actually surprisingly really good after the catch. Love that about him. But he he won from the slot, and when he was tasked – with playing on the boundary at the end of last season when uh, they had some injuries there at wide receiver. He played outside. You know, you just saw a player that has a lot of work to do in terms of clearing press coverage and winning in the contact window. And so he really thrives on those free releases. And um, I think that's okay. I just think that, you know, look, for wide receiver one, alpha number one X receiver, I feel like there's some limitations that we have to be mindful with his skill set. Now, I would be less apprehensive about A.J. Brown and his profile as a big slot or as a wide receiver prospect in general, if I felt like there was a greater ceiling for him developing how to defeat press coverage. Yeah. But I think there's some physical limitations with AJ for his size at 6'1", 225 being what he's listed at. Uh, my, my most glaring trait for AJ is lack of change of direction skills. I don't see a lot of foot quickness. I don't see a lot of spring and lateral situations. Uh, I wouldn't classify him as shifty. You said he's good after the catch, but he's good after the catch because he's strong. Yeah. And he's active with his free arm to kind of create space for himself to keep running. And once he gets downhill, he's got some momentum behind his pads at 225 pounds. Uh, it's a struggle for me to get excited about him as a player on the boundary period because this is this isn't just a technical thing i think there's there's significant issues here with his physical skill set now you put him back inside as you said joe yeah i'm on board because he's going to be manufactured a lot more runways to to get off the line of scrimmage get out into the second level and then i look at his route running and some of the, the routes that i noted as winning routes for him hook routes speed outs whip routes slants shallow posts a lot of in-breaking stuff for him into the middle of the field is, I thought, where he made a lot of his hay as a receiver. Uh, I saw a good snap when it wasn't a super hard angle, but he's able to roll momentum through that break, and uh, he, can, he can separate off guys at the top of the route if they're, they're leveraged over top of him as he presses inside that 5-10 yard window. Uh, so I think he can separate on the inside, especially because of his physicality, he's not afraid of contact. But at the same time, 
you try and extrapolate that and put that outside. I think he's just a, a, a guy that's going to have to play inside physically limited if you try and put him on the outside. Yeah, I agree with you. I have some notes about his burst and lack of fluidity, change of direction skills as, as notable concerns with him. And it's interesting because, you know, dating back to the uh, Tuesday show, when we talked about DK Metcalf and, you know, we talked about the limited route tree and how we were comfortable projecting him moving forward based on extrapolating traits that suggest he can be uh, better and, and with not necessarily better, but he can, he can handle a more expansive route tree. Just he wasn't asked to do it where it's kind of the reciprocal here with, or the flip side here with Brown, where you, you kind of look at those traits and say, okay, well, can this guy do more in terms of, of, of a route running profile and be more effective separating and the, the traits don't match up with that. And so uh, if I do want to give him the benefit of the doubt a little bit is, is that I think he probably can develop beating press coverage even though we saw in a limited sample size a lot of struggles there, I do think that he has play strength, uh, and I just think he needs maybe more reps and more time. But it is something to be mindful of as he acclimates. If he's going to play any on the boundary, I'm, the first thing I'm going to do is put a wide receiver in his face and dare him to get off the line of scrimmage. So I guess my question for you, because this isn't something about AJ's game that we have talked about, you and I, uh, what do you make of the manufactured touches uh, because when I watched him play, I thought I could tell based on his release off the line of scrimmage if the play was designed to go to him or not. And that concerns me too. Uh, I did not see consistent effort and push off the line of scrimmage in a lot of run plays where he's trying to replicate. And if you're a guy that's going to play in the slot, you can't half-ass that because now you got a nickel defender he sees you roll out of there half-ass, he's going to flip his eyes inside, and he's going to be able to break on a lot of plays. Yeah, I think it's a legitimate concern, and I have notes on him in terms of his blocking and, and just kind of some lazy reps throwing his shoulder at guys, not really working to get his hands fit or leveraging his hips. And I, and I do think that it's something to be mindful of. Um, we see this with a lot of teams where it's just – techniques they're 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 focused on running their offense right like there's so much technical teaching that doesn't happen at the college level because it's they just want their scheme to work and so i think what's often lost in making sure that plays are executed correctly and putting you know putting players in position to make plays based on what they can do which they did with aj brown is is kind of the gets lost in the overall shuffle of being consistent snap to snap and running routes the same way, even if the ball is not going to you and not being, you know, not tipping off the defense. And so I, I, I think this is a not just an AJ Brown problem as much as it is, you know, several players in, in all kinds of different situations, just on how the college game is coached. You know who else was like that? Corey Coleman. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Very yeah. different, very different physical profiles, but yeah. coming out of a spread offense, and everybody kind of poo-pooed the thing with Corey. It was like, oh, Art Bryles, he's a genius. He tells him yeah. not to do that. He wants him Save fresh. The energy. He can run yeah. down the field. It's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Play every play exactly the same. So yeah. uh, I guess to kind of put a bow on A.J. Brown, I feel like for a guy that you, you said you like, and I actually like A.J. quite a bit too. I don't think we've necessarily said a lot of good things about him. So let's <laughs> right. find something good. To kind of be because I think a lot of that, and and that's one of the challenges in scouting is like when players carry expectations, yeah, and they don't meet it for better or for worse. Your talking points tend to trend towards argumentative against that narrative, yeah. 
Yeah. So I want to do AJ a, a service here and, <laughs> and talk about some of the good things because I, I'd be perfectly fine with him as a top 50 pick. First round pick, maybe not so much, but a top 50 pick early too? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it comes down, I think he could be a power forward type player from the slot and really be a chain mover and a guy that, despite you know some athletic limitations, can win after the catch. He's super competitive when he has the football in his hands. And like you said, he's effective with that offhand to create that space for himself. And so, um, you know, I, I, there's there's a lot of value in being able to consistently catch the football, run good, uncover quickly, and keep the chains moving. And so I, if that's what your team needs, if that's an element to what your offense can use, then yeah, A.J. Brown's going to be a great target to do those things. Listen, I said it once on this podcast before. Jarvis Landry with an extra 30 pounds. I think that's a perfect role, a guy that lives and thrives in the slot. You're not going to ask him to push the ball down the field. I mean, Jarvis Landry, I, I know the, the usage in Miami was extreme as a short area receiver, right? Like Jarvis has a rookie average nine yards a catch. Then it was 10 and a half. Then it was 12. Then it was 8.8. And then he goes to Cleveland this year and averages 12 yards a catch. He's not a stretch the field guy. A.J. Brown won't be a stretch the field guy. But as you said, if you want him to run a nine-yard stick or dig mm-hmm. on third and seven, throw him the football. He's got great hands. Yep. He is that guy in the middle of the field. He's fearless. And because he's bigger than Jarvis Landry, who's 5'11", 195 pounds, versus 6'1", 225, he can take that beating, that wear and tear, and, and withstand and win some contested catches in those situations. So. Uh, I, I think that's the perfect kind of mold if you're looking for a receiver in the NFL that a usage that could A.J. Brown and the team that he goes to could emulate and have success. I think it's what the NFL teams, the Miami Dolphins and Cleveland Browns, have done with with Jarvis Landry. Yeah, I agree. And uh, there's some value to that. He can make plays. He can help a team. Just not a dynamic number one top ten guy. <laughs> so now, Joe... Yeah. It's your favorite time of the show. It's time to talk about Josh Allen. Yeah. I'm wow, that's a sound bite right there. I'm telling you, I'm gonna pull that off this podcast, guaranteed. And one of these days I'm just gonna throw that into the lead off of the show. <laughs> yeah. Let's Josh talk about Josh Allen. Allen. Josh, Josh Allen just just looks like a pass rusher. Just right? looks like one. So I think Josh is your poster child for the value in going back to school. Right. Like Josh, this time last year, Kentucky's Josh Allen is perceived generally as what? Top 75 pick? Oh, yeah. Athlete. Yeah. yeah. You know, nowhere near the stratosphere that he's being talked about now, which is as a, a top three, top five overall pick in the NFL draft. And Josh comes back to school, and I thought he really turned it on. Obviously, he had 17 sacks this year versus seven in each of the previous two years. 21 and a half tackles for loss versus 10 and a half and then eight and a half in the last two years. Uh, talk about a, a career season for Josh Allen, who's listed 6'4, 258. Uh, he will be 22 when his rookie season starts. He's got a birthday over the summer, so he'll be 22 his entire rookie season. So it's not like he's super old either, but it's physical tools, not necessarily having a plan developing more of a plan and then hoping to see that development and progression trend in a linear upward scale as he gets into the NFL and as he plays. So I think the first two things that stand out for me for Josh Allen, uh, the first step quickness, 
the explosiveness off the edge. Uh, he wins a lot of speed reps strictly through accelerating through the arc. Yep. He continues. It's not even the, the first step. He covers a lot of ground and he does so quickly. But then beyond that, steps two, three, and four, he's continuing to accelerate. So he's got that that really nice ability to keep the pedal down as he's turning the corner. And I think that overwhelms a lot of college offensive tackles. Yeah. And then and he, yeah. go no, go right ahead. No, I was just gonna say he ran circles around those SEC offensive linemen all year long. So yeah, that pure speed is just it really impressive. And then I think the area that allowed him to shine the most this year was he started to show some semblance of, of pass rush counters and not just trying to win in that capacity. He's got obviously got the speed rush, uh, saw a, a nice sweep move out of him to utilize his outside arm and drop those hands of offensive tackles trying to punch uh, and then rip and dip. I, I think everything right now is still predicated on speed. Uh, I'm not super sold on his ability to come back inside on guys. He's not, he's not setting those moves up properly at this point, but at least you're starting to see a cerebral side to him. And that's why teams can get excited about projecting him to the next level. Yeah. And I, you, you really talked about his strengths really well there. And I think what gets me excited about his upside even more is obviously the growth that he showed this year, but I just think there's a, even more he can achieve. Like I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone in a lot of different areas with Josh. First of all, I think he does occasionally have that a false step out of his stance, and so he can be even quicker off the ball, <laughs> as crazy as that sounds. Yes. Yeah. I don't think he necessarily reads the set very well of the offensive tackle. And so you know, understanding how they're setting and how they're trying to block you and how to attack that most effectively is something that he can develop and become even more effective as a pass rusher. Like you mentioned, the timing, using his feet to set up his rush, they're still developing more counters, stringing together moves. Like there is, there is, he, he was dominant this past season in 17 sacks, 21 and a half tackles for loss, running circles around offensive tackles. But there's so much more technical work that he can do to maximize his speed that if he puts it all together, oh my God, right? Like, I mean, just, you talk about putting stress on an offensive tackle to keep track with him around the outside, man. Like, good luck. You better get depth and width in that kick step because you're going to be in trouble because I, I think he's just got that type of burst. Um, I think an underrated component of his game, Kyle, is if you're wanting a guy that's to be a true 34 outside linebacker, like, man, his the way he sinks in coverage, man, he's smooth. He covers ground. Like, he can get to his landmarks if you want him to take some deeper drops. So, like, uh, I do th- have some concerns with him as a as an edge setter. I don't necessarily think he's a great run defender, but if you're looking for some, you know, I, I don't necessarily want him in coverage a lot because it takes away from what he's best at, and that's attacking uh, the edges. But you know, he can give you that that upside in coverage as well. Yeah, for sure. I think the the flexibility for Josh is most prominent when he's moving away from the line of scrimmage. Yeah, yeah. As far as you know, when when he's in his stance and he's got himself square to the line of scrimmage and he reads pass and he knows he's got to get that hook curl depth and he's got to get uh eight by eight as far as eight yards of depth and eight yards of width to really mm-hmm. kind of get out there on the wide side of the field and he has to flip those hips open that's when you really see like yeah like this this guy has the ability to disassociate his upper and lower halves because he's able to keep the pads relatively square to the line of scrimmage and those those hips flip about 60 degrees and he's really able to buzz off with some some grace and some fluidity to him, which I think is is really impressive. Uh, is that where you think he's best three four outside linebacker? 
Uh, probably. And the reason, because I don't think he's like a great edge setter. Like, you know, I don't necessarily think I want him lining up over against offensive tackles and squeezing gaps and really having to maintain outside leverage, those types of things. And so if I can get something from him with those coverage drops and, you know, have him attacking and, and being able to explode out of his stance, even as a walk-up guy or whatever, like, I just feel like I don't have as many concerns with him as a run defender, as a, as a 34 outside backer. All right, so I'm going to give you three names, okay? Guys that are listed as outside linebackers in the NFL right now. And I want you to tell me which one of these guys you think Josh is most similar to. Okay. Okay? And they're they're pretty different. You know, I I thought about this ahead of time and pulling these guys up. We have Von Miller, Anthony Barr, and Jamie Collins. Oh, man. Uh, I don't like any of those. Um, you don't like any of those because there's one that I do like for him. I don't like Jamie Collins, Von Miller, and who and uh, Anthony Barr. Yeah. See, ah, man, Barr is funny. Um, maybe in college you kind of had some Barr vibes. Um, I mean Miller in terms of speed, but like. I guess Miller. I guess Miller. See, I thought it was more Barr. His his Barr's college profile. Right. Well, that, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's where I was going with that. I mean, we see Barr playing friggin' Mike Packer. You know, that strong side and stuff. And yeah. Four three. Like it's really weird. I wanted to say T.J. Watt, but like T.J. Watt can play the run. <laughs> so. So I think that's that's probably your worst case scenario with yeah. Josh Allen, right? is you draft him high. Anthony Barr was drafted ninth overall in 2014. The pass rush plan never developed. So lo and behold, Barr gets pushed back off the line of scrimmage because he is a good space defender. And Barr's 6'4", 248. Josh Allen's, I think, listed 10 pounds heavier than that, but very good and natural in space. I'm just trying to think because when you invest highly in a pass rush, and we're talking about Josh Allen potentially being a top five pick. Right. And you have the pass rush concerns that he does. If that doesn't materialize, having a pathway for success beyond that without having to be a cerebral pass rusher, I think adds value to the player to know that, okay, you know, he may, if it's year two and a half and three and we got to pull the plug on him as a pass rusher, we can at least play him X and still get good value in production out. Barring a trade, Kyle, you've got Arizona, San Francisco, New York Jets, Oakland. Your first four picks. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't get through that, does he? I think San Francisco makes a ton of sense. Yeah, especially because for what they're looking for. Yeah, they don't have that player. Right. They, I mean, they needed it two years ago, and they took friggin' Solomon Thomas, who was a clone of Eric Armstead. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, San Francisco at two. I mean, the curveball here is if Arizona goes Quinnen and mm-hmm. then the Cardinals are and then the 49ers go Nick Bosa. You still have the Jets and Raiders who can use edge rushers. I mean, his ultimate floor is probably Detroit at eight. Probably. I mean, realistically. But right. at the same time, never say weird never, things right? Happen. Like, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. weird things happen every year. So, never say never. It's uh, the number one rule of draft analysts: never say never. 
Except for oh. when I put my mock draft out on Monday. That'll never, the team will never pick that player. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, you had a rough go Monday, man. Uh, listen, I did we really didn't even good talk for about the, it. <laughs> the first four <laughs> iterations of mock drafts. I got like, the feedback was probably three quarters percent positive. <laughs> like A or B, I would grade your mock draft. And for whatever yeah. reason, you know what it is? It's because more people read it and it's people that are just reading the draft network for the first time. So they don't know better. I can't blame you. It's just shame on you for not reading us sooner. And then you would know. And you put uh, it in the lead. You put it in the lead to your mock. You're like, it's been roses so far. Yeah, but, but, it was a kiss of death right there, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody. People are Dude, angry. listen, I had people pissed off at me for mocking Josh Allen above Nick Bosa. Like, I have a hard <laughs> enough time getting criticism for my own picks let alone you guys blaming me for Lance Zerline's picks. And we love Lance. Like we, we've had great talks with Lance this year, but I'm getting blamed for picks that Lance made in his mock draft. Like, what are you talking about guys? And then it, like I, I screenshot it. He was like, Oh, congrats for changing the pick. Like, like I give that big of a shit about you <laughs> and your 10 followers and you giving me a hard time that I'm going to change the entire pick selection of the first two picks in the mock draft. Like sure thing. Yeah, absolutely. The CeeLo Green uh, gif is coming out for me on Monday if I have to. Oh, is that the, the middle finger one? Yeah, with his gold outfit and he gets yes, in the car, these, two birds to the wind. Goodbye. all-time classic gifts. Yeah. Where, yeah. Were we, where were we? Because I feel like we found that gift together. I don't remember, but if I need to. I think it was, was, it, to, the Os- was, it, was it the Os- or the Emmys or Oscars last year or whatever. I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, were we at FanRag? Were we at Phoenix? Yes. I, yes, we were. Yeah, we okay. were out in Phoenix when we saw it for the first time and giggled our asses off. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> gift. Uh, parting thoughts on Josh Allen. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about him pretty well. Explosive guy. There's a ceiling. There's, there's the room for growth is what really gets me excited about uh, what he can become. So I think he'll be a top 10 guy and hopefully he can continue his development because he can be really special. My 30-second elevator pitch to sign us off here, Josh Allen made promising strides as a pass rusher and adding some versatility to his rushes, uh, but he still, as Joe pointed out, has ample room for growth, things that he needs to continue to get better at from a fundamental standpoint of setting up offensive tackles and being more flexible to not be married to his first pass rush plan. But if that doesn't materialize, you have a pathway for success as an NFL will, or potentially Sam, if you want him playing more time in coverage instead of being a scrape guy. So I, I think... The opportunities here for Josh Allen is you've got a plan A and a plan B for him as a pass as a as a player, as a football player. So that can give you added value and make sure that this isn't a guy that if he doesn't materialize as a pass rusher, you just leave him on the bench. I'm Kyle Krabs at Grinding the Tape, signing off with Joe Marino at the Joe Marino. As we said, we will be back tomorrow with Florida State defensive end edge rusher Brian Burns to talk about the art of the pass rush. And we're looking forward to digging into that with him. Hope you guys come back, hit that subscribe button. Thanks as always for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.